Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. Is it risky? Definitely yes. I mean, as you said, I left like an incredible role and fund and country to come here. I tend to think, what is the worst that could happen? Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest coming at us from Marina Del Rey in Los Angeles. Welcome, Christy. Hello. Hello. What a welcome. Thank you. (laughs) I am so excited to have this interview because you are taking so many chances in your life and going through both evolution and transition and exploration It's really exciting and admirable that you have made the choices that you've made in order to explore. Before we get into all that, can you tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. You've caught me definitely at a transition point in my life, which is both terrifying and adventurous. So excited to dive in. I am an athlete by background. So I grew up doing trampolining. I was national champion 12 years in a row, top 10 in the world. If you can tell by my accent, I'm Australian. Uh, So I represented Australia for a long time in that sport. And then after I retired from that sport, I still wanted to be an athlete. So I took up both CrossFit and beach volleyball. I went to the CrossFit Games in 2014, which is the equivalent to the World Championships. And then I played 12 years of beach volleyball. I just retired last year. So another transition. And I got to play on the Australian team for seven years on the world tour, which is, you know, I just went to the best beaches in the world and had endless summer, you know, chasing a volleyball around on the sand. And then professionally, I did a decade of management consulting and then three years ago switched into venture capital and the world of startups and tech, which I love. I'm never going back to corporate life. And I worked at Blackbird Ventures, which is the largest fund in Australia. They raised a billion dollars last year. And I'm also a partner at Athletic Ventures, which is a syndicate of over 150 professional athletes out of Australia and we're investing in startups at Series A and later uh, and really bringing the power of those athletes to support the portfolio companies both uh, with their brand and marketing and PR but also thinking about the athlete mindset and how we can bring that into startups to help founders with their leadership to help teams build their culture. Let's break it down a little bit. There's a couple layers to the question. How do you go from being a professional athlete to a venture capitalist? And then if we could get more layered into athletics and venture capital and how you support athletes. But yeah, how did you yourself go from one industry to another? Mm, With a great deal of effort, honestly. (laughs) I feel like venture capital is one of those like hot industries that people want to work in. It's a very popular role at the moment. As I said, I did management consulting first. So it wasn't my first professional job, but it was still a complete career change. And I got to a point as a consultant where I was like, you know what? I'm making PowerPoint slides. I'm doing Excel models. 
and no one's really implementing my advice. These companies are extremely risk averse. This is not the space I want to be in for the rest of my career. And a friend of mine said, you should do startups. I was like, what's a startup? It's this black box of mystery that people read about in the newspaper sometimes, but actually it's a whole nother language and a whole nother world. And I actually went through the Antler Accelerator in Australia and it's almost a pre-accelerator. They recruit 80 people that they think would make great founders and they put you all in a room together, teach you how startups work. You do matchmaking and speed dating on steroids to try and find your co-founder. Then you work on an idea together and at the end of three months you can pitch for funding. And I spent the whole three months doing that program and I fell in love with startups Mm. But I also realized I was spending all of my time helping everybody else with their ideas and not working on my own, Uh, which was the wake up call to be like, you should be on the investing side and not on the founding side. Then I was like, well, it's actually pretty hard to get a job in venture. And I approached it like I would a new sport. I went and trained for it. I did a course in venture capital. I went and mentored for three different accelerators. I went and took one-on-one meetings with founders. I met 90 founders in about four or five months. I went and networked with everyone in the VC industry. I wrote my own investment thesis. And off the back of that level of work, that's how I broke into venture. Question I love to ask is what is a huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it? Oh, so many. Do you want a sporting or a career example? Career. One tough thing for me was always trying to juggle sport and career. And I've had some incredible managers and bosses over the years and I've had some less incredible ones. And there came a moment, you know, maybe three or four years into my career when I was consulting. And when I took the job, I had negotiated with my boss to be like, I need additional leave. Like I'm a professional athlete. I'm going to need to take extra time off. And they had agreed to that up front. And then six months later, when I qualified for world championships and I went to take that leave, my boss turned around and said to me, you know what, there's this perception that you don't care about your job as much as you care about your sport. Mm. You know, are you really committed to this team and working hard? And I just felt so betrayed at that moment, right? Because here I had reached the pinnacle of a sport and going to the world championships and it's a huge deal. And he was saying, you're not doing a good job at work and we don't value you here. And I was trying desperately to juggle both. I thought I was doing well at work. And I just felt in some ways almost discriminated against in that if you have kids and they're at home and they're obviously your priority, right, above your job. And I don't have kids, but I have my sport. And that is a priority for me over my job at that point in my career. And that was a pretty tough moment. I ended up staying with the company like another eight or nine months but it was really tough to navigate that relationship with the leader of the team and knowing that he felt that way about my work right and what I valued and how about in sports also stories yeah so sport is quite political in some ways people think it's like you win the race or you get the time and you're in the team And it's so simple, but it's not like that at all. And certain individuals have a lot of power to select who's in the team and, you know, who's going to represent the country. And I remember I had just had a breakout season. I'd won a bunch of events on the Australian national tour. And then I'd started the next season by beating the Olympian. Right. 
And the very next day, the national coach turned around and said to me, I don't care about your results. You're too old. You're too short. You're not left-handed. Stop. And I'm never selecting you. Stop. And that was the national coach and his say was final and super rough, right? Yeah. Absolutely devastating. I'm feeling emotionally devastated just <laughs> listening to you. You know, there are ways to still find a way to play for your country, which I did and super proud to have done that. But man, it would have been a lot easier if I had the support of the national coach. Is there a way to overcome that? I mean, of course you could overcome that on your own personally, but I mean, like sports wise, Mm. is that a block? Can you just not move forward because of that? So the world tour operates much like the tennis world tour in that if you have enough ranking points, you can go and enter events on your own, but it's breaking onto the world tour the the first time where you really need your country's support. Yeah. So Fortunately, Australia hosted a number of events where we yeah. got extra spots for athletes. Yeah. So I was like, oh, cool. I can like sneak into one of the last spots after they filled it up with their preferred athletes. But, you know, I was not invited to train with the national team players. I was not funded as part of the Australian Institute of Sport program. So I found my own coach and I paid them cash and I entered my own tournaments wow. and I paid my own travel. And so it made it a much tougher road. Was it worth it? Oh, yeah. And what makes it worth it? Like what you had such a jazz smile and, and like a jubilant sigh. What what was that? There are very few times in life where you get to experience the feeling that elite sport brings you. Like imagine walking out into a stadium and thousands of people are screaming and across the other side of the net is a team that maybe you've never beaten before, but like this is the day that it's going to happen. Yeah. And you drop into the zone and you play every point with like complete intensity and you get to the end of a tight match and you're standing on the baseline and you're holding the ball and you're thinking, you know, my whole career might come down to this one serve and this one point and this one tournament and then can you make the serve? Yeah, yeah. And where else in life do you get that same pressure and that same intensity and the same celebration and jubilance at the end of the match when you win? And that's the best part about sport. I think it's interesting that you took all those chances that I would imagine were extremely difficult and maybe you questioned yourself when you were paying your way to everything. Did you have those moments? I shouldn't assume. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it was very tough. There were times my bank account was very low. But, you know, what's the worst that can happen sometimes as well? You know, like I have a great supportive family. If I had to, I'd be like, mom, can I come and sleep on the couch for a couple of months? And she would totally do that. Totally. The reason why I asked, I didn't want to assume, but I figured because human, like that's a human experience. It reminded me of how difficult growing my, I think, you know, I had an action sports media company and how difficult that journey was and really just crushing at times. I risked everything financially, energetically, and I would do it all over again. Like it was so worth it. And so you talking about how you spent your own money, you took these, there was no promise of anything. But I think the more I reflect on life, the more life is just about acquired life experiences. And sometimes it doesn't matter whether we quote unquote win or fail or, and those are all just all perceptions anyway, but it's just like collecting life experiences that, and which life experiences would we like to collect? Yeah. And there's a time limit on being an athlete. Mm. 
you know, you can have a career until you're 70 or 80 or 90 if you are a Buffett, right? Yeah. But you can't be an athlete much beyond 35. Mm. And so that's the time to just go for it and put all of your eggs in that basket and give it everything you have. It's so cool. It's very inspiring. So in the venture capital world, you focus on athletes. Can you walk us through what that looks like? So the syndicate that where I'm a partner is called Athletic Ventures and all of our LPs are current or former professional athletes. Many of them are playing around the world for Australia. We're generalist investors on the other side. Yeah. So the, L, the LP base and the capital base is all coming from athletes, but we're investing in startups across the spectrum. Right. And we're really thinking about what can an athlete bring to a founder? And mm. I just love that the mindset is the same for both of those groups. If you think about what it takes to succeed in both mm-hmm. industries, you know, as an athlete, yeah. less than 0.02% of athletes ever make it to a professional mm. level. Like you're more likely to be struck by lightning than make it to the Olympics. Totally. And as a founder, we know that, you know, less than 2% of founders get funding. Yeah you know, less than 0.00 something, make it to unicorn status. And yet both of these groups of people are willing to be like, I'm going to dedicate 10 or 20 years of my life to achieving this goal with impossibly long odds. And that is a very unique mindset. Yeah. And so I love the parallels between athletes and founders. And then we're thinking about how can we more practically help? So athletes have brands and profiles. And if you're a consumer focused startup, you're paying for marketing. Well, athletes can help you mitigate that marketing cost and use their brand instead. We might come in and we'll run like a team building and a culture day for a team and think about what can you learn from elite sport and bring to your startup. We're starting to think about, you know, if we have athletes join a sales call or recruiting call and really show that they're in the founder's corner, can that turn the tide Mm. on some of those critical conversations? To help a startup grow. Is it kind of like Jessica Alba is to Honest, it's co-founding as well as utilizing her celebrity to help the brand grow? Or Wheaties back in the day, except instead of Wheaties being a cereal box, Wheaties is a startup. Yeah, we're not co-founding. You know, we are backing the founders with capital and with the profiles of the athletes and with our mindset. So the athletes don't become co-founders. They're not co-founders, okay. they're investors. Investors. Mm. Interesting. Inter- and can you share one of the portfolio companies that has a great story? So we've made 11 investments or invested into 11 companies over the last two and a half years. We're about to do our 12th, which I'm very excited about. One of the great stories that we've seen is a company called Guzman and Gomez, which is Mexican food. I know Americans love their (laughs) Mexican food, but it's not that common in Australia, right? And they have an incredible number of stores around the country. It's healthy, fast food. And you saw these athletes that even though they might be sponsored by a less healthy fast food brand through their team, actually in the locker room after their game, they were eating Guzman and Gomez food. And so we jumped on the chance to invest in that company. The founder has built this incredible culture. They've been so innovative in terms of increasing the efficiency of the ops and the back end of that company. Like it's a good business, but we love the brand and we love the food as well. And you have these athletes like organically promoting this company and so proud to be a small owner in that company as well. 
as you've evolved your career as a venture capitalist, what has it been like for you when you hit a block or, or when you're trying to make new relationships, what is a, an obstacle you, that you're trying to overcome right now, or maybe not an obstacle, but the next challenge? That you're trying to push through. Mm, I'm trying to move to the U.S. I that mean, is true. Okay, yeah. wait. Do an ad, we have so many people that listen around the world. Mm. If you had an ask that would support you in that, what would your ask be? I love early stage investing, so I'm keen to meet other VC investors that love the early stage and want to support that. And I love this intersection of sport and startups and investing. And so anyone operating at the intersection of those two, I'd love to meet you. Let's get into this job part because you worked with one of the most prestigious venture capitalists in Australia and you consciously chose to leave there in order to explore a life in the U.S. or explore and then you decide U.S. How did that work out? And I mean, it's just so scary to have something stable and great and prestigious and be like, peace, I'm going to go into the unknown. Like that is just, wow, you know? Yeah, it's true. A couple of reasons. So first is I love the US. I particularly love LA. I spent five or six years coming here and playing beach volleyball for six months at a time. So spending summer in Australia playing and then summer in Hermosa Beach in California playing beach volleyball. This is the birthplace of the sport. It's where all the top players in the country are training every day on the beach. And I just fell in love with this place. And then last year I retired from sport. So I'm free to leave Australia in terms of I'm not playing for Australia. I don't need to be there playing our tour. I can move anywhere I want in the world at this point. So that's on the personal side. And then I think professionally, I mean, Australia is an incredible place to live and work and the lifestyle and the people there. But if you are working in startups and in venture, the US is really the place to be. And one of the things I noticed, you know, Blackbird is the largest fund in Australia. We're investing across every stage and every vertical. But to be really good at something, you probably have to specialize a little more. And I felt myself really drawn to early stage investing. Like I want to do pre-seed and seed a little of A. And then I really wanted to do more in consumer and human performance and health and wellness and fitness and all these verticals that make sense when you're an athlete. And they're almost verticals that we don't touch very much in Australia. We're very early in our thinking, particularly on consumer side investing. Most of the funds are focused on B2B SaaS. And so to have that specialization, the US made a lot of sense. And psychologically, emotionally, for everyone listening that would like to take a leap to something new, but they're freaked out to leave where they're at, what can you Tell them about your your experience in making that huge choice. Mm. One, you seem happy with the choice. So the end of the story is you, <laughs> even though you're in the state of unknown, you seem pretty blissful. <laughs> yes, that's true. It's been an incredible adventure. I've been in the US like three or four months. I love the willingness of Americans to make introductions. Yeah. I've met almost a hundred funds yeah. in the last few months. I've met incredible operators and founders here. And contrary to Australia, where people are a little tight with the introductions, you feel like you need to know both Mm. people well in order to introduce someone in the US. You know, you can talk to someone for three minutes in an event and they'll be like, oh, let me introduce you to this person I know. Or you can cold outbound someone on LinkedIn and they're like, oh, yeah, I'll take a call and then I'll introduce you to three people. And I love that about the US and it's made it 
so easy to feel welcomed here and to meet so many incredible people. And I've also had the chance to like reconnect with all my friends from the time that I've spent here playing volleyball. So is it risky? Definitely. Yes. I mean, as you said, I left like an incredible role and fund and country to come here. I tend to think, what is the worst that could happen? I go home, I have to get another job back home maybe, but I'd be leaving with this incredible network of people. Um, I'd be leaving with this incredible knowledge of the US investment landscape and how they make decisions here and how they run their funds differently. And I'd be leaving with, you know, the chance to always come back, right? It would be easier to come back the next time. So if it all goes wrong, the worst case scenario is not that bad. With your personality type, was it easy to leave Blackbird or was did you struggle with the decision? Uh, it's tough. Like there's some amazing, amazing people in that yeah. fund and I am someone that stays close friends with people. I call my friends out of the blue and they're like, what do you need? I'm like, I'm just calling to talk to you, which I think is a lost art in the age of texting. And, you know, I've done that with volleyball friends around the yeah. world. I've done that with um, venture capital friends around the world. And so those people will still be in my life. Like just like that tidbit that someone listening right now wants to leave where they're at and they're feeling a lot of resistance and fear. What would you share with them? I guess it depends why you want to leave. Are you Mm. running towards something or away from something? Yeah. And my top value is growth. You know, I want to grow. I want to learn. I'm driven by that. And when I feel like I'm in an environment where I'm not growing in the direction I want to, Mm. or I think that, you know, I could get better coaching somewhere else, or I could surround myself by, you know, better investors in the space that I care about. That is a, a reason for me to leave. And, but some people, you know, love where they're at. It's like, are you pulled to something a little bit better or do you not like where you're at and you're pushing away from that and you're not exactly Mm. sure what you're running to? So that's probably the first question that you have to ask yourself. I really love that. It reminds me, my friend Cam Kashani, who's been on the show, she asks often, is it a fear-based choice or is it genuinely what you want. And I think that's such a great way, at least in when I'm making decisions to filter out the authenticity of my whys and my choices, like, am I not saying yes because, or not, or not saying no, because I'm afraid and it's coming from a place of fear or because I genuinely have no interest or desire. And yeah, so I ask myself that stuff a lot. I mean, it's normal to feel doubt and to feel fear. hundred percent. And people that tell you to stop being afraid, I can't stand it. I say walk alongside fear. Fear is there to protect you. It's serving its purpose. I don't believe in just mm. that it's possible to get rid of fear nor the kind of pressure. I don't know. Do you, do you see it differently? That No, I agree. But I also just think action is the antidote to fear, right? Mm, Once you start, yeah. you have momentum. Once you start, you realize that you have the competence to do it. Once you start, you realize, oh, I figured out all these other things in my life before. I can figure this one out too. And I remember the first time I came to the U.S. for volleyball. Yeah. So I left my job in Australia, common theme, (laughs) and I had two grand in my bank account and I rocked up in California and I didn't know anyone 
And I remember walking up and down the beach Mm. and there's hundreds of beach volleyball courts, right? And I was looking for a court that had three people on it that needed a fourth. Yeah. And I was like, this is going to be my way in. I had booked two nights accommodation because that was all I could afford. And I walked up to this group. I eventually found this group that had three people. And I was like, hey, girls, you know, I play in Australia. Yeah. Looks like you need a fourth. And they were like, oh. Our fourth is coming. <gasps> they were so snobby. No. <laughs> anyway, I was like, no problems. I'll just uh-huh. I'll sit over here and watch you train. And oh, you stayed. I stayed and no. their fourth never showed up. <gasps> so that same girl, she officially came back to me and she's like, oh, our fourth didn't come. Can you jump in and play? And so, of course, I'm wow. like, absolutely. And I jumped in. I played my heart out. And at the end of practice, they said, so you're actually better than our fourth. Do you want to come back next week? Stop. <laughs> what gave you the, co- I don't know if the right word is compassion. I want to say the word resiliency. I'm not really sure what the right adjective is, but to not let someone's kind of snotty communication deter you from what you are you were set out to do. I would have been like, F that and walked away. <laughs> yeah, but I had like less than two grand in my bank account. I was like, I don't know anyone. And I need, need to make friends. Huh. I need to find a place to stay. And I have this drive to just become world-class at this sport mm. of beach volleyball. And you need a way in, right? So interesting. I created the We Early Tech Experience Club in 2015, and I was very afraid. And it was inspired by my love for backpacking and then my love for technology. And I, I thought, why can't we do both at the same time? Like, why, why do you either have to live or be on a computer? And I was really afraid to launch it and find out. Anyway, I had a meeting with American Airlines. It was super random and exec there. She's like, why don't you just have, send out a survey and see if people want to? I was like, why did I not think of that? And that survey eventually became the application form. But I say this because I totally agree. No matter how afraid we are, all we need to do is take action. Like that's the antidote to being afraid. We're all afraid. We all don't know if something's going to work. And the only way we could find out is by finding out. (laughs) Yeah. And it does drive me a little crazy because we spend a lot of time talking about imposter syndrome and like overcoming fear. And I'm like, just start. Yeah. Just start. Action is the antidote. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Have you heard that before? Action is the antidote? Uh, I wrote it in my blog yesterday. <laughs> I, I wrote, really love yeah, it. Yeah, I, I wrote think a it's blog powerful. about confidence and yeah. And I think it's it's double A, right? I love, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> okay. So a very simple question, but I always think it's lovely to hear. Is there a particular piece of advice that you've gotten in your career that's, that's helped accelerate you? In sport, I've had so many good coaches and I think they really instilled in me a sense that effort will lead to results over Mm. time. You know, when I was eight, I qualified for my first ever national championships. I was doing trampolining and I just won the state championships. So I was flush with confidence. And I remember my dad was there with the video camera and my mom had like the coffee and she was more nervous than I was like spilling her coffee and they wished me good luck. And I was like, I've got this. And I jumped and I pointed my toes and did my backflips and stuck the landing. And then I came dead last. And that was my first ever national championships. And, you know, I I was sobbing at the end of it. I was so devastated. But off the back of that, I was like, 
I don't ever want to feel that again. And mm. I'm going to train more. I'm going to go and do strength classes with the older kids. I'm going to tackle that trick that terrifies me. I'm going to like ask my coach for more feedback. And the next year I came back and won. And it's those early lessons from my sporting coaches, yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. that is like if you really put a full effort into something, you know, you will get those results over time, which is very instilled in me. But I love what you just said. It's so simple and basic, but yet we all, especially driven people, overlook it. The more that we're consistent and do things incrementally over time, the better we will become, the more that we'll accomplish. I feel as a culture, us driven people want to accomplish the world in a day. And then we're frustrated when we don't. But the more I train myself to essentially make life easy and just do little bits, I'm like, oh, that was done. That got done. That got done. Mm. That got done. I got better at that. And it and it was all easier. It's kind of like lazy productivity. <laughs> <laughs> I need some more of that. Since you've shared a bit about networking and it's something I have a lot of thoughts about in general, how do you set boundaries and who you meet? And then how do you, I feel like on your end, because you're the one proactively meeting, you don't really need to set boundaries. It's other people who are on the receiving end in general that should, so then how are you asking in an effective way to pierce through people's boundaries? Mm, this is a good question. I feel like we have a natural aversion to the word networking. Sometimes. Yeah, I, I, it makes me want to puke. I can't right. stand the word. <laughs> but I'm like, it's appropriate right now. Yes, yeah. it is. And I, I've flipped my mindset on that because we, especially women, I feel like we have this tendency to not want to ask for help. Yeah. But isn't it nice when someone comes to you and is like, you are the expert in this thing that I want to learn yeah. more about or you have the knowledge or the connections that I just so respect yeah. the work you've done in your career. Like that's a nice feeling, isn't it? Can I be super lovingly candid? Yeah. I appreciate the compliment like it, when somebody sends me that about myself, but I am like no, no, no boundary to everybody because people just want to take it my time and I think they're not valuing my time. They're seeing me as like kind of like the giving tree. <laughs> And I'm like, I've had an, the giving mm. to you is closed shop. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I feel like that's the other side of it, right? So when you're, people hesitate to reach out because they don't want to be a burden on people. Right. But you can be super respectful of someone's yeah. time. Like I could have listened to every podcast you've ever put out. Oh my gosh. I do not encourage you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would yeah. be a lot of time. I could have read your book and your blog. I and would your have work. been wildly impressed and I would have totally been more open minded to your message. Right. And particularly if I came with a small and specific question and not just, can I pick your brains over coffee? Yes. Right. Accurate. So, yeah, obviously there's a technique to reaching out. You want to be super respectful of the person that you're reaching out to, but you shouldn't hesitate to reach out. Agree. Feeling that you will be a burden to someone because in some ways people like to help and you're giving them an opportunity to help. And the other framing I think is there are times in your life that you are the mentor yeah, and you will gift help to others. And yeah. there are times in your life where you are asking for help and the one receiving totally. it. And as long as you have both seasons, I think there's a balance there. Yeah. 
in terms of what has worked and what techniques. Yeah. And I completely 100% agree with everything you've said so far. It's about the approach. Mm, Yes. Yeah. So that's definitely part of my approach, right? When I landed in the US, I was like, okay, I like this intersection of investing, sport, et cetera. So let's start by making a target list of all the funds that have a link to athletes and sport. Right. And then I tapped my Australian network and I was like, does anyone know anyone at these funds for an introduction? Much easier to get an introduction, but I've done cold outbound on LinkedIn with actually great success as well. And I'm going in with what are my credibility points? Right. You know, I've been top 10 in the world in three sports. I worked at Blackbird Ventures before. I helped lead athletic ventures. So I'm coming in with credibility points. So credibility. Yeah. And then I'm coming in with our things in common. You know, I know this about you and this is my commonality that I have with you. Commonalities. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm coming in with a specific ask. Now, it's tough when you're out there looking for a job. Yeah. Sometimes you don't want to just put that in an email. Totally. Because people are like, we're not hiring, bye. Yeah. Uh, Which is rough, right? Like you still want to meet them. So I'm, what can I offer them? Well, maybe they invest globally, but they don't have a strong awareness of the Australian market. So I can tell them about the Australian market, startups coming out of there. 100%. I can share deal flow from Australia. I met someone at an event who was like, I'm going to Australia with my family next month. I'm like, I sent him a whole bunch of restaurants yeah. and travel tips and recommendations. Fantastic. Right? It's not even related to Korea. Add value, add value. Yeah. Um, and I've seen people do really creative things to add value. Like um, I used to write blog posts sometimes yeah. for other people. I used to like come in and offer to 100%. give them like feedback on their website or like, you know. I love everything, everything you're saying. Yeah. You know, I think the the fundamental difference the thing to really hear about what you're saying and like the the kind of resistance I had is when a lot of the messages I get, people aren't speaking to me like I'm a human. They're speaking to me like I'm a giving tree. And everything you're saying, you're interacting with people like they're human beings. And I think that is the secret sauce. Just remember this as a human. <laughs> Definitely yes. reach out. Always reach out. Do the ask. Um, you and I met cold. And that is one um, way uh, referrals because someone tagged me in your post. And so if you have people in your network who can tag you in something relevant, it does warm the connection Mm. that it's already through someone that you respect and know. Yeah. And go back to the people that made the introduction. Yes. And say, thank you. This is how it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. That's so interesting. I, uh, I think every single point you shared is is really insightful and important. Yeah, ne- relationships are everything in every time, as much as I don't want it to be, <laughs> because I wish people could just get ahead based on merit and and talent and execution and not have to, like when I raised money, I was able to get my way into a skateboarding award show. I was able to be in the VIP room which led to me meeting my future investors, et cetera. Like I sort of had to know people to even get myself in that position. Mm. But before I was in that position, I wasn't, I was still deserving of being funded, but because of the relationships, it's what got me in that position. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a very 
good comment, particularly about the venture capital industry, which runs off warm intros and people and relationships and connections, which I find almost hypocritical because we are asking the founders we back to build a scalable company that doesn't rely on people, that is product first and product led. And then our own industry is completely the opposite. Yeah. I like that you brought it back to venture capital because I kind of wanted to take that as as our, our way home. Someone who wants to get into venture capital like you did, what are some of the resources that you recommend they check out to start to immerse themselves into the VC world? I'll start with one. Hustlefund.vc has phenomenal education on angel investing. Mm. I have seen people break into venture in many different ways and you should choose the path that works for you. The very classic way is you did management consulting or investment banking, then you go get your MBA, you get a two-year intern with a VC fund and you're on your way. I did not exactly do that. I've seen people become a thought leader in a space. There's an incredible woman in Australia called Emily Casey And she had a background in medical, nothing to do with tech. And every week she would write what's happening in health tech. And she became known as the expert in health tech in Australia and landed a role in a VC fund off the back of that. So that's a completely alternative way in. I have seen people build out a network of, you know, high high profile people like we've done with Athletic Ventures. You know, Matt, who started Athletic Ventures, had no background in venture capital, but he pulled the network together and that is the way to, you know, build funding and grow capital in a group. So there are many, many different ways in and you want to identify the one that's a match for your interests and skill sets and talents. In terms of resources, there are so many good podcasts and books and blogs out there. I mean, there's 20 Minute VC, which I love by Harry Stebbings. They're really good. Um, more of who else do I like? Can I look at yeah, my list? Yeah, look at your phone. Okay. I like Scaling Up, which is by TDM for more the growth stage. Um, I'm a big fan of Lenny's podcast and Lenny's newsletter for anyone like more on the product side. But like you have to think about once you work in VC, what is your value add to founders? Because your value add is both how you attract deal flow and then how you help your companies after you invest. So my value add is athlete mindset. You know, I work a lot with founders on how do you take the thinking from elite sport and become a high performing person yourself? How do you take the thinking from elite sport and build the culture of your team and raise your standards? Like that is my value add, but everyone will have something different. And a lot of people specialize in a particular industry or vertical as their value add. And Lenny, isn't that primarily product? Uh, it's product and growth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is almost all of the questions that early stage founders have. <laughs> what Lenny has done overall, if you don't know Lenny's newsletter, like I'm just impressed by Lenny, period. <laughs> yes. It's amazing. Exactly. Like Venture Unlocked, the Consumer VC, uh, Turpentine VC is a new podcast nice. just launched if you want to like hot yeah. off the press recommendation. And then I think some of the books, like the ones pretty well known in the industry would be like uh, Venture Deals, The Business of Venture Capital, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, mm-hmm. such a good book. Uh, yeah. I mean, you are, this is an industry where you are constantly learning and constantly reading. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all had to become AI experts in the last few months, for instance. So 
yeah, I think it's, if you like that, you're going to do well in this industry. And talking about high performance, two last questions. One, as an athlete or in venture capital, but really as an athlete, if you're having a tough day, maybe you hurt your knee or something's going on in your life, how did you handle those days? How do you how do you show up in a high-performing way when inside you don't feel high-performing? Mm. It's a combination of standards and identity, I think. You set the standard every day that you go to training. You are never late. You're respectful to your coach. You cheer on your teammates. You give your full effort. You do the extra rep. And not only does it become a habit, it becomes the standard. And I think the difference between those two things is like a habit you kind of do without consciously thinking. And a standard is in many ways similar to a habit, but there's an emotional consequence if you Mm. fail to meet it. It's like if I slip below that standard, I know my coach will be disappointed in me. I'll be disappointed in me. So you have standards. And then there's this identity piece. You know, for 30 years I've said to myself, I am an athlete. And what does an athlete do? Like they don't show fear or pain or weakness Mm. on the court. You know, even when something is tough, they keep going. Like some of the CrossFit workouts I did is just, it's pure suffering. Like that is not a fun sport in many ways. You are just the lactic acid burn. It's like the toughest workout you've ever done. Your coach is like, you've still got like 300 more reps to go. (laughs) And when you're hurting, how do you go faster? Um, And it's this identity of I am an athlete. Like this is what athletes do. And it's so embedded in you that you reach for the apple, not the chocolate bar. You do the extra rep. You go to the extra training session. You know, it is just part of who you are over time. I heard heard this I am X from a business hero that I look up to in writing my book. The very first lesson he gave me is he said, I want you to say I am a writer or I am an author, you know? Right. And and then on my um, drywall board in my in my house, I, I also wrote, I am an athlete, I am an author, I am this. And I do feel like it kind of is this, um, uh, like a mental growth hack or a mental hack, because if I believe I'm an athlete, then I'm going to make athlete-minded choices. Mm-hmm. And if I don't think that I'm an athlete, then I'll eat, the basket of cookies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is a hundred percent a hack to be what you want to be. And the other word I like to, like, I love, I am the other word I love is yet. Mm. So when you're talking about your goals, you're like, I don't have a book published yet, yet because you're presupposing that it's going to happen. Yeah. I love that. I love that. How can people connect with you? Uh, the best way is LinkedIn. I'm on there. I'm also on Instagram. So come and find me on both of those platforms. Can you spell your name and your handle for everybody? Mm-hmm. On Instagram, it's at christy.jenkins, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E dot Jenkins, J-E-N-K-I-N-S. Uh, LinkedIn is Christy Jenkins. I also have a blog on Substack that's also under my name and I have a website. So you can find me all over the internet. You can follow some of my sporting journey there, but mostly I'm going to be speaking about athlete mindset and applying that to startups and founders and leadership. 
Christy, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. To connect and collaborate with more amazing women in tech around the world, remember to go to womenintech.vip. That's womenintech.vip. Say hello on social at Women Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you talk to you all the things in the next episode. Bye. See you later. Hey, this is Christy Jenkins. I'm a partner at Athletic Ventures and a former pro athlete myself. Athletic Ventures is a syndicate of 150 pro athletes investing in some of the best champion founders around the world. I'm from Australia, but I'm based in LA in California, and you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, with help from Janice Geronimo, edited by Corey Jennings, production and voiceover by Adam Carroll, and music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.